keep going. Welcome to the Keep Going Podcast. My name's Steve, and I'm one of your hosts. This is an episode that has a lot of really personal revelations. I felt maybe it was a little too personal, perhaps even entering TMI zone, at least from my perspective. But Michael's trip to Japan has become so important to his overall worldview and the direction that he's beginning to be called to to take a treyu. And also just his, like, own unique personal creative journey that I thought it would be remiss to let this episode sit on a cutting room floor. So consider it a Christmas gift from Michael and I to you this holiday season. We recorded this right after his trip. It was in mid-November. And much of the discussion is devoted to the unique beauty of Japanese running culture. We eventually move on to how travel journeys and running in and on country have changed our lives personally. We hope you enjoy unpacking this audio gift we call On Japan and Journeys, Personal Reflections on Running Culture. We'll see you again in 2024. Godspeed, my friends. Godspeed. What are we talking about today? (laughs) I just got back from a vacation in Japan, although I don't think it's a vacation because do people have those anymore (laughs) no we travel (laughs) traveling is different than a vacation i'm told by my wife so true we did not sit on a beach we were hustling you know from plane to train to bus to taxi from sushi place to ramen place to to trail to road to mountains to exactly (laughs) and when you're traveling it's my favorite part of traveling it's like you know there's a little bit of work remote there's a little bit of exploring and turning off turning on it's it's active it's the active uh ingredient in in seeing the other part of the world 14 hours ahead in a, another time zone oh and a completely different culture mm. i mean 100 percent is, is it's, yeah <laughs> on the surface it seems like similar. a very mellow tokyo oh, yeah. for example yeah. seems like a very mellow new york city and tokyo could perceivably be like a Denver maybe Mm -hmm. and but they're not even close that's just that's on the surface correct it's fascinating and 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 they look different but then also there's a part of it that's like they have maximized so much with because they have a much smaller physical footprint of their country they're on an island that they to me that's the biggest fascination is is because it's such a small footprint the Shinkansen that they built for the Tokyo Olympics, I forget which year that was, but it wasn't the 64. recent one. It was the, it was the early one. Oh, the, the Shinkansen was built in like... Oh, the train? Yeah, the train. It's basically oh, it a train that... built for the Winter Olympics. Yes, the winter, Olympics. Yeah, the Sorry, Winter Olympics. Gonna, so they built this gonna. big, they call it the bullet train, but it's called a Shinkansen. And it was built from roughly around Tokyo down all the way to um, the southern part of Japan. I don't know if it goes north. I think it does. But um anyway, there it's a really fast, efficient situation. And then from there you have all these arteries. But 
if you travel by Shinkansen, you realize how small the whole thing is. It's fascinating. Yeah, I think the country's not that much bigger from tip to end than Texas is. Right? Cal- it, more like California. It's like California, which is Texas, big. I think, is a little bit bigger. Bigger, yeah. Or wider and shit. Yeah, but it's a lot like California. Yeah, yeah I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, and so imagine a, a 400 an mile an hour train, you know. Rolling up the I-5. Just through California. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the one. <laughs> it's, it's cool, man. But yeah, culturally, I find it to be, um, yeah, I think I would say fundamentally different. Yeah. It, it's hard to explain. Uh, I guess we, let's be fun to drill into it we you know we can do it through the lens of i actually went there my favorite thing to do was to visit my friend tetsuro he um he's a he's from a uh i guess he's from a prefecture outside of uh kyoto in osaka um and he he comes to the u.s he's come to the u.s 37 times to run hundred mile ultras oh wow so he's a ultra he's an ultra he guy. was into ultra before the books and yeah. before the before he, the explosion before the explosion he was running he said he ran leadville like 20 years ago yeah. when there was like no press around it or anything like that and it was it's cool and this guy runs um he goes to the middle of like akron ohio to run and he'll go to run the rocky raccoon you know all the little races he just goes and he probably has seen more of the u.s than (laughs) than i have and it was it was great because he came and met up with us so my big thing was like oh i get to go see my friend tetsuro run through kyoto where he went to college yeah kyoto is pretty incredible i spent uh about three or four months in kyoto um, in the summer. It oh, was, that's a good amount of time. It was very hot. And I was looking for work. And I had a marriage that was literally ending mm-hmm. as we were there. <laughs> in Kyoto. Yeah, my ex-wife basically decided to ditch me for my best friend. At the we same sta- time? Who we were staying with. While you were there? In Kyoto, yeah. Come on with <laughs> Boy, that's life. <laughs> it that's- was a... I don't even know what to say about that, man. <laughs> it might have it might have impacted my vision of what was going wow. on. <laughs> yeah, that's seeing it through a different lens. And three and four months, did you? Were you okay? I was fantastic. I mean, it it was trying time. This is also a window. You'll appreciate this. This is also the window of time where I did my first and only ten um, day vipassana retreat. I did. That's it, cool. I did it there. And that's where I talk about how I had I had done everything incorrectly yeah. about not preparing and not preparing because the of my life precepts. Because of a lot of way my life <laughs> yeah. is falling apart at the edges. But it's I, okay. I do think the other thing that was really interesting about my journey in Japan is really interesting. Part of this is I was there. I was there nine eleven when nine eleven oh, happened, and I was that evening. It was you know it happened in the morning, but we were in Japan, so it was the evening. Mm-hmm. And um, we were partying pretty hard, lots of illicit substances, mm-hmm. and we were hanging out mostly with what they what they call with with folks from New Zealand, England, um, Australia, yeah, uh, the Netherlands. We, yeah, they go they, there to party, and and they were all teachers. They, mm-hmm. my really good friend, um, was a he was teaching English in Japan, and so there's okay. this huge. At, at this was this is nineteen. 
2001, 2002, mm-hmm. right? 2001. And uh, so, yeah, when I was there, the attacks on the, the Twin Towers happened. And their experience of that being non-Americans uh, was so dismissive of the deep patriotic vibe that I got being there. Because, I, you know, that experience as an American was hard for me. My what then wife, she was far more moved. For, we were both very left, very liberal, but she was moving very much into more of a even more liberal than I was. And my friend who we stayed with, who they ended up hooking up together and they married and had a kid. And I've now talked to both of them and we have a reasonably good relationship, but all's well that ends well, as they say. But they both, he was more of an artist. So he was really just, he was really not attached to politics at all. My ex, she was very much into politics. In fact, anarchist part of politics. Mm. So we lived in Eugene right before we went out there. And so she had really taken on a radical feminism, a radical and a radical view of, of anarchy and a radical D uh, the, uh, you know, just, just decentralization of all things. When this accident happened, when this, when this attack happened, there was that experience that they both of them went to where they went. And then all our friends that we were at, where, where they went, all the friends were like, America sucks. See, this is George Bush. This is what's wrong. Yeah. My ex-wife, she was like, we got what we deserved mm-hmm. because we're doing really horrible, terrible, bad things, sure. which I politically agreed with. My friend, he was like, I don't know. Let's make a painting about it. <laughs> let's write yeah. a song. Yeah. Let's smoke another joint. Yeah. Let's do more mushrooms. Something like that, right? But my reaction was, I think because I have many people in my family that worked and w- were used the military mm-hmm. as ways to upwardly, to reach higher and up, to become more upwardly mobile, mm-hmm. that there's an appreciation for the, for the armed forces in my family line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because sure. it's a way of changing your station in life. Mm-hmm. And so I always have been critical of American imperialism and all those other things, but I was very team. much in. Yeah, it's just like, it's like I'm crew. an American yeah. and we've bled and here yeah. we are seeing more blood for innocence blood. Mm-hmm. And you could say those people in those towers were not innocents, but in essence, they were just there mm-hmm. because of their work. So it was this really crazy thing and it all happened and I was out of my, go, off my gourd, mm-hmm. right? I wasn't, I was not sober. Yeah. <laughs> And I just fell apart, man. I fell mm. apart. I just, uh, I, I felt so unseen by the people around me. Sure, yeah. And so different from my politics. Like, I felt this deep beating heart for pride and patriotism for you know, being I felt American that- people. And I felt this sense that I knew was going to be manipulated and twisted and turned into something. Mm. All the things it's been, was manipulated and twisted and turned into. But I couldn't not be the person that bleeds red, white, and blue. So it was a really interesting period of time for me. But that culture, I just, I'll full circle this, the Japanese culture is so unique in that it's so, it's, it has at its deepest core simplicity baked into it. Yes. Aesthetically, culturally it's, limits to it's, me it's, it's stage it's an island like you said it's, it's an the island. whole it's, thing man like it's, it's a it's it's so and i want to acknowledge that like 
I'm seeing it through a Western lens. Yes. And seeing it through a Western lens is it's got its own out it's got its own outcome. To me, it's I'm not gonna say it's perfection, but it's unbelievable. It's it's beautiful, it's all the things. It's it's fascinating. It's it to me it's just like it is everything that I'm trying to, you know, model, but almost not like, not as a black and white model, but like as a, it's, it's, it's like a guide, you know, for mm-hmm. me, it's, it, it, maybe it's more of inspiration. I don't know what it, it, I can't quite put my finger on why I am so. Like a life aesthetic, a philosophy. Yeah. I mean, so for example, like you might be saying, what the fuck are you talking about, Mike? But it. <laughs> I saw two examples, both cab drivers. One, don't, if you go to Japan, you're not gonna, you might find an Uber app participant. Okay. But it's not, it's not like widely used. They don't do ride shares. They still have a cab culture. Because it's a part of the machine. It's how they value, it's what they value. It's what they value. And, and there was this, there's this guy, he's got the white gloves on, he's got a suit on. Like, the nicest clothes I have in my closet would probably be what he's wearing. And he picks us up, and it's just all business. It's like, you can get, like, this is this person's career. And it's, they take it seriously. They're not going home and talking smack about it. It's just, it was so, it's, you can feel it. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side, there was this 20-year-old, maybe 25-year-old, brand new Prius he was it was all shined up and he had a suit on and it was just you could tell he was in it to go <laughs> taking it seriously. all the way yeah not to put his face his foot on somebody's face and go I'm, I'm too good for this I'm just driving Uber I'm just doing this thing it was it was just a part of the team mm-hmm. like it's like that's that's that thing and that's it could be completely different for for these folks over there driving cabs, I don't know. But from a Westerner's perspective, the emotion that it evoked is um, that it was a that it's taken seriously and not for granted, and it's just a it's a it's the way. And I really, really, those are the small things getting into it. Um, I mean, also the the dollar has a has a high value right now, mm-hmm. so it was a little. You know, it's like point, it's like 66% of the dollar is the yen right now. So food and everything was like pretty thrifty. Mm-hmm. It's like you could get a nice, uh, you know, udon or it's like sober or something for six bucks. Your money went long further. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that was also a pleasant experience. But culturally, it's to me, that's kind of one of the tangible aspects. The other is the running. The running is just another, it's another level. And the way I keep like coming back to it is the closest thing that I could think of uh, to describe maybe me observing these runners, the high school runners getting ready for the Aikiden or the, the 30, 40, 50, 60 year old, everybody from, from the older folks, they had 80 year old people running around the Imperial palace. And it seems like it's treated more like, Maybe the U.S. would treat ROTC mm. or something like that, where it's not, it's not just cool. It's not 
it's not this, it's not that. It's just a part of what they do. And you can tell, like, per capita, it's just a part of what they do. Yeah. It's, it, it's, a, it's an aspect of what brings the totality to the quality of their life. Yeah, I wish we had John here today because he he studies deeply Japanese running culture. Really? Well, especially the elite level. He, he has, Oh, yeah, he brought us that. Those, yeah, yeah he that. knows all the stats. He's been following it for a really long time because John's interests has always been mostly marathoning. Sure. He has a lot of interest in the sport elements of 5K and 10K and what's going on at the Olympic Games and things. But he's much more a guy who's interested in the five races that are going on at the highest level and the Japanese are disproportionately good they're incredibly good comparatively to the rest of the world in the marathon they're not at the front like the Kenyans and the Ethiopians but in the middle uh, so let's say from you know 205 to 215 um, we may have 100 US men that are in that window mm-hmm. probably more like 75 yeah and they probably have a thousand is that five hundred? And is that because they're taking the the shorter distance runners and putting in a plan to get them to I the think marathon? That, I think that there's multiple areas here. The first is the skill sets that are necessary for shorter distance races are come, come as you know. This is just a fact of you know somatotype and body type and that kind of thing. There are there are bigger, strong, fast sprinters who are um, Japanese. In fact, there's a world-class Japanese sprinter, but he's half African-American, half Japanese. Mm-hmm. So, um, Sony Brown, I think his name is. But there are, it's just that they're predisposed towards distance running somatically. I mean, from their body type, you know? But then they're also, it's very much their mentality. The mentality. The mentality is much more sacrifice now for a yes. future that yeah. will give you a benefit, mm-hmm. that they're built to do it really, really well. They had incredible heroes in the 70s and the 80s, Toshieko Seiko, mm-hmm. uh, the So Brothers. They were these. They were world class, and the Japanese have a bit of a chip on their shoulder about they think they're the best. <laughs> That's awesome. They really think they're the best. And they, you know, they they closed their borders for basically four or five hundred years. It took getting rid of the king pretty much, getting rid of the emperor pretty much mm-hmm. for them to even open their they didn't even want to open up. They were forced to open, basically. Uh, and so they've got this culture of of that's really I don't know about homogenous. Is that be is, is that is it, now they have a, a prime minister as well that runs. Yeah, yeah, that that all happened gov- in the you know late eighteen 18- Late 1800s. Okay, cool, cool. So, but they were closed for a long window of time. They were even repelling anybody, anything like the East India Company and these companies that were trying to um, come into Japan. Japan kept fighting them off and saying, "We don't want you. We want to stay mm-hmm. separate." They were the opposite of the Koreans and the and the Chinese who were open to uh, trade and the processes. The Japanese really quickly they shut down and left, let it, and they stayed out. Plus, the other thing about Japanese culture that I think is really important, again, this is coming from a Western's per, Westerner's perspective, but I did, you know, I did research it a good bit. I think there's an element of what we call, what we would call samurai culture that is a real thing for anybody that's going to be competitive in a sport-like realm. And so you get that nature, the person who has a uh, die at all costs, and I'm doing it for my for my leader 
for so my country. So I'm saying that's for, the, that's the, the almost like the the young ROTC mentality. Yeah, it's militaristic. It's a serious. It, there's no. I'm gonna try and look cool on the sidelines. It's like hands on the knees. Show show everybody that you're in it for the run. Like they when they stopped, it was almost. Um, it's not acting or anything. It's just they don't try and. I, I could see all these groups of runners and they were just, you could tell they were there with that type of group mentality that was like, we're doing this for a reason. We're here for, for a reason and we're shooting for something. And it was, it's special. I'm, so I'm really interested. What was your friend's name again? His name was Tetsuro. Tetsuro. What, because his event choices are in many ways the antithetical to the, you know, the, the vibe of the ultra vibe, especially 20, 25 years ago, ultra vibe, because I've been in the mm-hmm. trail running world for forever. It was definitely flowy and we don't give a damn about our result. And we're just out in the woods doing our out in the woods thing. So it seems like he has been in an area of the sport that traditionally across cultures uh, you know, ultra running has been much more free, loose, and flexible. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested: is he a free, loose, and flexible kind of dude, or was he more? Did he still have that Japanese element of, of again, we're typecasting and stereotyping? No, no, I think I think um, he he seemed to be more of American. He, well, <laughs> well, he did tell me that the first 100 mile race in Japan was like 20 years ago or, you know, 15 years ago or something like that. So it's relatively new. It's new kind of like ultra running is becoming popularized in the U S it's also becoming popularized in in Japan. And I think that it, it takes on a different flavor than, you know, he was telling me about somebody who was about to go run a qualifying race for their prefecture team for the Aikiden. And it was very serious. And, and so it was like, there's the bridge between, it's it, to me. It's maybe the difference between track and field, and then running for hobby, um, but taking both very seriously. Yeah, and and I think that that it was it's fun to to be around that flavor. But you know, I think he's he's like kind of cut from my cloth, which is like maybe stay away from big groups of people and get out in nature and kind of do that thing. So I'm I'm real happy to know that that culture is. Pretty much everywhere you can you can find that Colorado culture really oh, yeah, wherever you sure. go <laughs> and and I, I don't know I think that's pretty cool and the natural beauty in Japan cannot be matched it it would be it, is, it would it be is. remiss to talk about Japan without talking about Mount Fuji and oh, how yeah. serious and important it is and what it it means to the landscape it's 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 a borderline deity there and and so we went to um, Fuji Yoshida which is probably at the if you're looking at it on a map, maybe the three o'clock around uh, Mount Fuji circumference. And then there's these little towns, you know, um, uh, Kawaguchiko, which is probably at noon, you know, and then right next to it. And um, and then it kind of circles around like into Hokone um, where all the onsens are. And, but you can see Mount Fuji from Tokyo, you can see Mount Fuji. From Kyoto, you can see Mount Fuji from any different angle, and all the angles are special. Yeah, and they, everybody. I have three friends there now. Went running with three friends, and and um, 
all of them, when they were running, made sure to bring me on a run where you could see the mountain. Yeah. You know what I mean? And observe nature and do the thing. And that to me was like half of the run seemed to be to be present on the landscape. Mm-hmm. And Mount Fuji is extraordinary for whatever reason. I don't know if it's because from a Westerner's perspective, I can tell you why I like it. It looks like the original volcano that we used to draw when we were in like kindergarten yeah. and shit. But like, so it's the ultimate mountain. Like if you were to, it's a, it's, it's the ultimate rendition of a mountain. It's the cartoon of a mountain. It's the, it's what you would imagine when you see one and it is right there and the whole thing just kind of revolves around it. But for them, it's, it's much more serious than that. It's the real deal. Yeah, they have a an element for a for such a technologically advanced mm, mm-hmm. society and culture where values of like you said the train and their their lives are very ordered. Yes. Order is very highly valued. The train is not it's on time. Five minutes late or even it's about, five seconds late. It's 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 on par with German transit systems. But it's not, um, but it still is a, is a classic transit system. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, um, you can, you can travel on schedule there. And their, and their culture, you know, as we know, because we, so much of what we have seen, so much of what has happened in the eighties and the nineties in the U S around business culture took a lot of, a lot of lessons from the Japanese. The Japanese took a lot from the U.S. in terms of valuing capitalism and using capitalism and in a very expansive and powerful and incredible way, obviously. But then they also made it Japanese in their own ordered, small, tidy, beautiful, typically Mm -hmm. beautiful way. Uh, But they have this other element in their culture, which is shamanic. It is recognizing the the land as a living system it is part of their life not just it's a it's like a grandfather or a grandmother it's it's not a just a mountain <laughs> it's a part of their it's kind of like why the shinto shrines everywhere are still so prominent and probably always will shinto, be prominent shinto is the shamanic ancient shamanic religious tradition that was there prior to and Buddhism. It is a tradition which oh. is interesting too. And it never it never it never rooted out. It never rooted out. Buddhism never rooted out Shinto. No, they it kind just, of operate just, adjacently and, and separately. And in, and in many ways they and in some ways they come together in yeah. a really interesting way. But it is it, that part of their culture to me has always been I'm I'm always I'm obsessed with beautiful design. Yeah. Like I know you are. And the Japanese just do design better than anybody else. Easily better than anybody especially else. It will, if, especially if you value that sort of minimalistic Zen type vibe. German engineering is is fabulous. But I mean, Chinese, I mean, uh, Japanese design. Scandinavian is, design is fantastic. Yeah, for sure. And they're all slight different, slightly different models of that kind of aesthetic of simple, basic, mm-hmm. clean, and beautiful. But the Japanese have been doing that. Um, for so much longer. Do you know a good example of that, by the way, is um, the big, what's, I don't know what it's called, in Kyoto, by the train station, the big temple. Oh yeah, I forget the name of it. It's Um, fascinating. But Mm -hmm. it would be the equivalent of 
in the U.S., you know, it's kind of like there. It's 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 probably on the equivalent of of like maybe the the Notre Dame. Yes, and, something like that. Yeah, and in the U.S., maybe a, a massive cathedral. Yeah, Chartres. Or, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. in these these Gothic, you know, cathedrals, and you go to Italy and you see like the Gothic cathedrals. I mean, they're 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 awe inspiring. You know, you have like people. You know, just the craziest scenes, like the sculptures are crazy. But then you walk into uh, the the Kyoto Temple, and it's got the tatami mats, and it's gorgeous. You can you understand that like it's set up like a like a Catholic church mm-hmm. because you have you know you can you can visualize like the version of like the clergy and everything's and the in priest. its right place. Yeah, everything's in its right place, and it's. But oh my God! Like when you walk around, there's this sense of, when you're just like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. this is the this is the that when you walk in, you feel, um, just peace. Mm-hmm. It's so fascinating. Yeah, like, I don't know. And then, and then on the other side, the Shinto shrines where they have like the, they have the wild boar, the the shrine of the wild boar in Kyoto, and it's for feet health and and back health and leg health and back health and you're just like this is this is great and people will go pay a little home to and you know you know the and mm-hmm. then ring the bell and it's like oh my god i mean they they and i'm sorry if you're if you're japanese and i'm like butchering any of this but again from a westerner's perspective it's just a beautiful thing to observe that type of culture and to see it is not uh, as a juxtaposition to U.S. culture, we're still trying to fight on church and state and figuring out what that means, and it's always like, what is going on here? With them, it's just kind of like, you know, this is who we are, mm-hmm. and it's um, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I think that one of the things that would be interesting to think about is what the difference is in um, running culture are between these various countries these places we've been Mm -hmm. like where you've i ran and my experience of running in kyoto was different probably than yours because Mm -hmm. i didn't have a japanese uh guide Mm -hmm. i just got out and i was in a i was out out on the outskirts of kyoto i mean it's so big it's hard to really say exactly where i was but and there were these there's these dams and um, mm. um, drainage ditches and things like that that you not drainage ditches because everything's clean and designed but Kyoto has that that nice little natural waterway right, that runs correct. through it and I ran on that and it runs all over everywhere yeah right? it's it, beautiful and, yeah and but it's beautiful in a different way because then they're you not would gonna... offset and you go down a road and I got I mean I'm I'm really good directionally mm-hmm. I anytime I get into a place I get a north south east west bearing I understand where I'm at and I visualize well maps. So I look at a map and I visualize it. But Japan is a place you can get lost very, very easily. Yeah, that's, there's no doubt about <laughs> there that. There's so many. These, each street looks it's so It's easier similar. to find what you want exploring in any city in Japan than it is to try and get on TripAdvisor, say this restaurant's <laughs> yeah. got four and a half stars. We you're, think we're going to try it. Good luck with that. Yeah. You're never just it. go to an area <laughs> and then find it. That's yeah. kind of like the running, just go running and yeah. see what you see. That was my experience of running was like, there, there were so many runs that were boring as shit, mm-hmm. but then there were these other runs 
where I'd be in this city and all of a sudden I rolled up on something that was like unbelievable. Yeah. One time I ran up on, I think it must've been, I wouldn't say the Japanese national team because I think that they train outside of um, Tokyo, but they were definitely some kind of collegiate or pro type team, the women's side. And I was in a, still in okay shape, right? This mm-hmm. is, uh, I'd stopped racing competitively in like 97. And so this was, <clears throat> you know, 2002, 2001. And uh, I still ran, but I was, yeah, I, I could run with them for a little while, but the order, the way they ran, mm. like our group, when we ran, when we all run, it's all chaos. Yeah, it's- They're like, they were dialed in where everyone was in their right position. And sometimes they would, they would have like a V shape and then sometimes they would go to a long string yeah, would, so and it was cool. like, they would do it on call yeah. without anybody saying anything to the other person. And you were like, well, these guys are like, Shelly, so, you're falling back. So syncopated. Resume the formation. Yeah. They're so syncopated to know exactly what they're supposed to do. And operating in that way was like really, really cool. It's like running here and I did it with our group. We do a 10 mile on Wednesday. And I'm running with the group, and I got so excited yesterday because there was this one point where everybody just shut up. Mm. And I was like, thank you. Yes. I Like, this, every once in a while, I don't want to talk when I'm running. Oh, I yeah. just like running with people on the run and doing the run. And we were all in a line formation. I was like, oh, I, I love it when we can get single file and everybody just locks in the cadence and then cruises. And we did that for about three miles. And I was like, that's nice. We don't do that enough. Yeah. We don't totally. we don't operate as a team enough. We yeah. don't we don't have a hierarchy enough. Mm-hmm. Swimming does cuz you can't swim in a lane with four people without a hierarchy. Oh yeah, not only do we not have a hierarchy, <laughs> so, but our hierarchies are so jacked up because so often the person who's slowest ends up at the front. Um, yeah, in our, it, in our running mm-hmm, situations, mm-hmm. at least for an extended window of because time, because it's the only time we'll ever going to be at the front. So, so that- would you say <laughs> that if we were going to, you know, take a, a layman's stab at American running culture, do you think we could prescribe, uh, uh, wantonly prescribe um, some consideration for the flow of a group run to get it more... Um, I think I guess maybe maybe not prescribed, but I do think that the the cult, every running group I've been in, especially in Austin, there is an element of the ego that's attached to the run that has somebody going. I need to be up here because of this reason. I need to be doing this because of this reason, and it doesn't seem to submit in that like AA style. Submit to the higher power, kind of an idea. Nobody's submitting to really anything. It's all in ego play to get the right position to make sure you're fit. You're checking your own fitness. You're doing this, but I think there's a power in the type of polarized thinking where we could probably operate on a higher level i'm sure as a coach and having a a crew that's everybody from otq standard you know kind of you know going after the otq versus going after just running a you know a a beautiful race whatever Mm -hmm. that may be sub four hours sub three and a half hours whatever it is um it'd be cool if we could somehow explore that culture and what we're missing out in that yeah i i I, you know you're gonna everyone's gonna roll their eyes now because i'm gonna say i prefer chaos because i do interesting take i i uh i've been running for a very long time Mm -hmm. uh 50 years nearly 50 years now 48 years i've been running and i've run most my runs by myself 
because it's just as a young person, I ran so much by myself. And then as a, and I was so much faster and I didn't go to a college team until I was, I mean, a high school team until I was in sophomore. So, mm-hmm. uh, but once I got, so I have this great experience and great, I have, I have one, I run by myself extremely well. It's never, you know, there are a good number of people who will call five friends hoping to get one friend to show up for a run with them. And I'm not that person, right? I'm totally fine just being by myself. But when I've run in various groups, because I've run in groups at every level, um, it, it's, there's group of the, the people who train together consistently and they do their easy runs together, the long runs together and everything else. I think there's much more of a natural hierarchy that develops because you're seeing them, you're running with them six, seven days a week. But in many of our training groups, people are showing up to do a quality workout and there's a level of intention, a level of energy that's higher for those sessions because they're going in to get something done, right? Mm-hmm. They're definitely in pursuit at that moment, to use our analogy. Whereas when they're running on their easy runs with other people, sometimes they're running by themselves or running with groups, you frequently find that they're that they're much more laissez-faire about any hierarchical aspect of it, right? Like, But I find that when I've run in groups that have people who train together all the time, that there's a natural uh, recognition of the fastest people in the group. And then there's a deferment, there's a deferring to that. So that hierarchical element you're talking about, I think requires a level of consistency that allows for it. And I think in the Japanese, you have this culture that's that part that way, whereas in America, we do not have that culture. Sure. Um, but also then you have all these people who traditionally train together all the time. They mm-hmm. just, and there are a lot of Japanese do seven day weeks. They run very high mileage. So they're doing a lot of running together, a lot of running together. And I think that the more you run together, the more these natural hierarchies show up, but they play out in a little bit of a different way. They mm-hmm. play out naturally and organically in a different way. Whereas in groups where you're having a, a show and go run, like what you do, mm-hmm. you always have a different element there. You always have some other kind of element. Or if you jump into a quality workout with these groups that you've typically gone to run with them, when they're doing a quality workout, the vibe is a little different. Sure. The vibe's a little more. But even in my many years of running at high levels with big with groups, there's always somebody who's slower who absolutely decides to take the day. <laughs> and that uh I love that. That is a that is a that is a I, I think this is an American That's a beautiful thing. It's an American That's, thing. That is that <laughs> That is red, white, and blue all day long. I'm going for it. I'm going to show everybody what's up. You know that term? Wednesday morning. You know that term on any given Sunday they make about football? Yeah. We used to say on any given easy run day. Yeah. Somebody (laughs) somebody can win. (laughs) It's so true. That part is is absolutely there. I wonder how it's different in, um, let's say, a French group. Or in I don't a, know anything. Or in a group yeah. of people who are training in Russia. Like what would what what kind of hierarchical oh, scenario shit, would that be? If anybody knows what they're doing in Russia, <laughs> y'all let us know. But I think this is what's so cool about running. And running has this ubiquity, like because as I say, it's a primal thing. So mm-hmm. almost all of us have it in our DNA. Um yeah. so there's this as opposed to, you know, American baseball and Japanese baseball. Uh 
they're it's they're doing different they're playing the same game differently and and in the US I mean, all over the world, people are running the same run differently because Would of their culture. Would you say that the pursuit is the same, but the practice is just a little bit different? I don't know. I don't it know. seems like, I mean, you at the end of the day, you want to go fast. You want to get the thing done. You want to win. I get that. But maybe it's the difference of the grounding and the practice that that is... Um, just culturally a little bit different I don't know because even that I could see it being almost identical and I'm just sitting here but I know I know deep down that it feels different yeah I was running the vibe y- yeah so I was run- I have video of it I I looked at Lena I was like I swear there's like a race it felt like an organized race it was it was Thursday evening we were in Tokyo we were running around the Imperial Palace, which is a 5K loop around the where basically the Emperor family, you know, kind of, it, it's public, but it's, it's got a path around it. It's beautiful. It's in the Ginza region of Tokyo. Um, it, is a, it is an iconic experience to run there. Yes. Iconic. When I, you know, we had those that series where we did your local, your classic, and yeah. your iconic. It's an iconic for the daily run. It's an iconic location. Yes, yes. And we were in this evening. We were walking. We walked the five k loop, and there were groups, no less than ten people, every thirty seconds that passed us up. Nobody was talking. They were all running. They weren't running fast. They were running easy, but it was massive groups over and over and over for an hour straight that we walked that path. There were thousand runners on that single path. It would be the equivalent of a Saturday morning on Town Lake in a random post-work six o'clock evening, and it was crushed with dedicated practicing runners to me there's something about it when when they're but they're all they all it felt like everybody it felt like everybody was doing the same thing whereas town lake you got you got joggers you got shufflers you got speed demons like you got everybody going on but there it was it was much more of a unified Mm. um feeling or emotion it felt like a race felt like a 5k like like a like a local race and it was they even yeah i don't know what yeah that's, so there's an element to that that i think that is um particular to that location because tokyo is such a hard city to tr- train in mm-hmm. um there are very few locations you have to stop at the sidewalks yeah that is something it's a really yeah you have to running that that is very quintessential if you go to japan and you want to run make sure that you understand that you're going to have to take a lot of a lot yes. of breaks. A lot of breaks. <laughs> but at but there at the Imperial Palace, they don't have to. Right. You know, mm-hmm. um, and you know you'll see. Just the other day, we were at uh, the a particular hill we call the Windsor Hill, and we were doing our workout at the top of the hill, and the gazelles were coming up and down. They were doing their run up 
Rainbow and then going back yeah. down Windsor. And they were doing their session. They, they do a funny workout. They go up one side, down the other. Then they eventually they turn around and they go back the other way. But had that same, so, you know, I do think that occasionally you'll find a location or Austin High mm-hmm. where you've got five different groups all utilizing this location at the same time because of the lack of various or the limited number of viable quality options. Yeah. Um, that sometimes you tend to see that, but in Tokyo you just have so few. Yeah, of those agreed. Yeah, that that mm-hmm. for that local those groups for some of those groups that is the only place for them to train. We went to a beautiful little town called Kamakura that was outside of Tokyo. It's more coastal, mm-hmm. so it's past. Um, it's a forty-minute train ride from Tokyo past um, well, where the Olympics held the triathlon. What is it called? Um, I don't. I don't know. Uh, yeah. It, anyway, um, I forget. It's on the tip of my tongue. Um, but it's a, it's a surfing coastal town, mm. and we got to run along the coast, and that so was, cool. That was really beautiful because so, that's a different. But you got to travel. You got to travel to go to these runs. Yeah, it's a def, Yeah, it's a different experience. That was one thing I was going to share. I mentioned this in one episode. I think in the episode where we talked about it, I just talked about it quickly. But another, my other experience running in Japan was I had this thing where I would just get on the train I'd have a basic idea of where I wanted to go I'd get on the train and then I would get off the train at a location and I would just run out of the train and then try to find the woods that's cool and it it, it resulted in a few really terrible yeah, runs you're gonna that were get, no good that mm-hmm. were horrible and I couldn't find a place to run and it was really frustrating but I was already open and just said who cares I'm not trying to get anything I wasn't training I wasn't really training I was just going to have an experience and then there were a couple of runs man that I mean, their their top three run, two of the top three runs of my entire life happened yeah. that way in Japan, where I ended up on a little country road, a little, and then it turned to a little dirt road, little dirt. There were there were dirt roads, and then there were trails, and then there was a a beautiful Japanese Zen temple, and then and it was crazy. It was just one of those, you know, you get those days where everything lines up perfectly, where you just yeah. can't believe it, but. uh you can get those in the U.S. too. You can get them anywhere. The ubiquity that you said—it's yes. everywhere. It's fascinating. Well, there's a this is a this is an ongoing discussion point with one of my really good friends who's Hungarian. They're they're Hungarian background, but they lived in um, communist era Romania as Hungarians. You know, there's a lot of mix over there with cultures that. Anyway, they they were talking about how little they like the natural the natural resources or the, the the beauty of Austin, the beauty of our local like trees and hills, but heat and dry and mm-hmm. land and limestoney and everything else, they see it as ugly. Oh. And yeah. and they don't because they come from a you know, they come from Eastern Europe with just absolutely most immaculate, beautiful, like forests and waterways and i mean this is where transylvania is basically like it's just it's just when you talk about a beautiful forest this is a like iconic beautiful european forest is where they come from that's like like their backyard and so for them the idea of uh you know the green belt or we went out afterthought for them oh they're just like you think this is beautiful like is there any scenario in which you could think this is beautiful but you know I think that this is the thing I love about the United States is that there are so many different types of places. And as being a runner that I've run in so all I've run in every state I've ever been in, 
I've run and, and probably run a good bit. And, you know, from running in downtown San Francisco, which is one of the coolest running experiences yeah. you can ever have, mm-hmm. running through San Francisco, yeah. seven by seven miles, so you're always getting somewhere, yeah. and you're seeing so much incredible stuff, to running in, you know, I don't know, in Marin County, which is right across the river, I mean, right across the, the, the waterway there, the headlands in Marin, and it's like some of the most beautiful running I've ever done in my life. And then... Not to mention that... Like the Dipsy route that we're Correct. yet to do, which is that, which is part of that. Yeah, that yeah. Dipsy route <laughs> yeah. goes through there. Yeah, it's like we just have all these. It, I don't know. I, I'm a person who sees natural beauty in a wide variety. It's not one model. But then again, I grew up in the East Coast, like Philly area, and in Central Texas and San Antonio. So my vision of beauty is not one which someone from Kyoto might have or somebody from Romania might have <laughs> and so therefore I've been required to find beauty in quote unquote not naturally oh yeah man beautiful places you know yeah for sure I mean, think like, about Louisiana we were, I was about to say <laughs> you talk about one of the 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 flattest and you know marshland we've we've managed to make the marshland beautiful down there it's like <laughs> you're damn right you know just look at that cypress tree we should shellac it in gold like it's badass but like people would see that and be like you're in the swamp (laughs) and like it's just through the lens one of the cool and you know as much as i think that it to me i'm fascinated i'm pulled to and i'm i love you know exploring asia in particular thailand was that's a whole nother story um I ran in Bali, and that was really incredible. I'm sure too. it was amazing. It was really, and it was hard was to great. do, but it was really beautiful. But here's my takeaway: as much as I can say that and say how beautiful and awesome and you know exciting it is, I'm 100 percent positive, like Tetsuro coming in for 37 ultra races, exploring places that I've never even been. I've yet to even tap the power of the 50 states. You know, the contiguous 50 state. Come on with it, like. What's it like to run in Sedona? I don't know. I've never been to Sedona. I've been to... Don't go. Really? Because it's it's amazing? Oh, my God. I, I, drove, know. In, <laughs> I drove into that city. I only went there recently because we did the Grand Canyon a couple of years ago. We did Rim to Rim to Rim a couple of years ago. And I was like, I have to go through Sedona. Because you can yeah. bypass it to go to Flagstaff, right? Yeah. We're going to go to Flagstaff and meet some people who were flying in there. We could, bypass, could have bypassed it. I'm like, I'm just going to go through Sedona. I just need to see it. And yeah, just I'll warn you. Right. The power the natural beauty of that location. Uh, yeah, I don't know if there's really vortexes, but there's something going on there. You ever run through Baltimore or yes, Detroit? I have, both with places. With all the steam coming up both from places. the ground? It's like being transported into a foreign country, and that's the takeaways. It's like open the lens and to be present on the run is endless. It's so... In, in you know, I'm not trying to wrap a bow because that's like my MO, but like I'm just saying that what I've learned is you don't need to go across the world to find what's right at home. Running is right at home. It's everywhere. It's a mindset. And, and when you say ever since we did the episode on the practice, I am I finally feel like I'm I'm grounded in my own beliefs again. And and I think that the practice includes being in awe of the natural world and in a, in a way that is more experiential than anything else. Because if you just let it happen, 
then you can learn so much from it. And like the accumulation of all that, I could not possibly fathom running in all the best places in the U.S., not to mention across the world. So you just got to enjoy it when you can. I mean, it, it's for us to go out and throw away a run and check it off the list and just check it off like it's some bullshit thing to get you towards your your ultimate goal is seems like a waste of time <laughs> it's, it's, mis- like, it's, it, it's not a waste of time because that person's getting out of it exactly what they need to get out of it and what they want to get out of it, <laughs> it but it's absolutely missing one another many other areas that are already there that they don't have to do anything other than just change their mindset or allow that opening you know i just released this morning my uh my central thesis on running as a movement practice on the running on purpose yeah. episode but just that just went out it took me a very long time to do i couldn't get it right i'm sure because it was hard to articulate it was really hard but i think i got i did service to the basic foundations of it and in that in that episode i just in the in the show notes i said hey you might want to go listen to these three keep going episodes because here two guys are literally bouncing back and forth across this topic area across these three different episodes in very different ways that might bring some of these sort of dry or esoteric aspects of the running practice as I'm describing them now around the body the mind and the soul and I'm describing and trying to be pretty I'm trying to to out lay out as as good a argument for running as a movement practice as I could possibly do but I think that you're I just wanted to highlight that so anybody who has been listening to these episodes and is like i still don't really know exactly what they mean when they say practice i didn't mean it i i was talking about it for 10 years before i actually could feel what it means yeah you know what i mean yeah Yeah. i do i do it's fascinating um listen i've been running for 50 years i only came across i only quote unquote came up with i don't i'm sure this this is i'm sure this has been around for a long time i'm sure it's a very i mean so is the yoga practice but how many people out there have Crack the code on what that actually right. means, because that that took me and shriveled me up like a raisin. <laughs> yeah, <for sure. laughs> so I'm like, yeah, it's ask a practice. It. I'm coming here and I'm doing this thing, and I'm like, I am so far away from whatever they're talking about as a yoga practice because I'm well, so I mean, stuck in my head. Here, here we go. And, you know. Any kind of martial art where they have a belt process, mm-hmm. right? The idea of the belt is to get you to learn the key aspects of what's going on with that, but buried underneath that is a deep practice that's baked into each of those belts has some exoteric some some like a specific thing we're trying to teach you to do right mm-hmm. however you should always they always reminding them this is a part of a big hole this remembering as we talked about the mm-hmm. last week remembering it bringing it back together to get it to a hole is really part of the process so anyway i just wanted to highlight that for anybody who's looking for um more I, I did that and I did it because I talk about the practice so often with my athletes and I needed a primer. Like I needed a, a central thesis, something for people to look at and say, this is what I'm talking about. They may not agree with me and it may be something that people are like, yeah, this guy's barking up a really crazy tree. But I at least have you as someone who's experienced it. And I do have athletes who I work with who are sensing this as a, a we use the word unfolding, which is it's an unfolding, but it's closer to it's it's the thing that you were talking about that said you have you learn through actually the physical nature of you experiencing learn through it. your body yeah. and yeah. 
and that to me, like you could say that all day long, but everybody's, it's going to go one, one ear and out the other until, until it, it makes happens. sense. <laughs> and you're like, oh shit, that's what this is. So I don't know if it's, it's, if, if it's as, as round is, is saying, is there an evil in the practice and the antithesis of the practice of running? And is that the, the, the checklist and the this and forgetting that it's a part of a bigger picture. Like, I don't know I, if I wouldn't we could call reduce it, it to that. Yeah, but. I wouldn't call it an evil, but I would maybe use the term, you know, I grew up in a fundamentalist Christian background. So the idea of sin yep. is missing the mark. So I do think you could say it's kind of a sin um, in the sense of saying that the, that you're missing the mark of what is available and I'm not, it's not right or wrong. Correct. It's, it's that there's so much more there. It There's more to tap into that can probably maybe even get you to where you want to, where you think you want to be. And it might end up if you double down on the practice of running and exploring the experiential basis, maybe you'll end up in somewhere you never thought you were. Right. That's where I am now. Yeah. I'm literally, you know what my biggest goal is right now? I think I'm okay to say it. I want to. I want to learn to love being a hobby runner. There you go. It's you a, know how difficult that is. Oh, believe me, brother. You're talking to a guy. I am literally I going. Know. That is the key to happiness and success and simplicity of my life. Be a hobby runner. Take it seriously. Do not. You know, just. And what I mean by hobby runner is 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 um. Enjoy the process. Don't try and squeeze everything out of the tube every day and just enjoy it unfolding and it almost looks identical on paper to saying I want to go run in the Boston Marathon I need a qualifying time this is race that I'm going to do it it looks pretty fucking similar to that but it's not it's it's like the desire without attachment version of it it's just maybe less attachment to my own ideas and more openness to what the process will unfold but being a hobby runner is maybe one of the maybe one of the hardest things I'll ever do and I and I'm going back full circle to where I was when I was living in Lake Charles and I was running around the lake every day I was running around the lake in those um I didn't know shit about running I had um some Adidas Takumi sends on beautiful shoes and lime not green. Not much of a shoe. Not, not much, much of a shoe. shoe. <laughs> that, that shoe made me fall in love with running. Oh yeah, it period. Will. It will. Because you feel the ground. You feel yes, everything. It, it made me fall in love with running. I had the the army panties on. I think that's what they're called. Like the little short, you know. And I did not have a shirt on. I was pale. And I was like, I'm gonna get a tan. I'm gonna run around this lake. And I'm going to be the man. Like, it just, I'm going to get out there. And I thought that I was like, Dari's from Cool Runnings in that opening scene where he's like <laughs> running around the river. And I'm like, I'm so in it right now. And that to me was like the escape. It was the perfect, it was the most perfect thing that I, that I've felt through active movement, like ever. And I want to find my way back to that. But I had no plan. I was pursuing something but I didn't quite know what it was and I had no plan I was open to it all like that was kind of the thing but I you know that it, the only question is you know what's that gonna look like in the pursuit because the practice then was fucking dialed well the pursuit would just be one aspect of your practice yeah 
Yeah, and, it's just and they're, when it, and they're not separate. So it they're just they're they're just different modes of operating. Just like I think about when you're, you know, I say everything is training. Mm-hmm. So somebody might say, well, that seems to be completely at odds with the idea of running as a movement practice. Well, except to say that uh, does like you have to eat, you have to sleep, and there's optimal ways to eat and sleep for performance. But those also just happen to be the optimal ways to do it for a practice. They're not at odds. There just might be more of a focus on the things you eat for a particular reason when you're going to go race as opposed to when you just get up to go for a run. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, Who knows? we should do an episode on on the feeling before a workout when you wake up and your alarm goes off and you feel like it's work and you don't quite want to do it. Oh yeah. And we, we should, just, we I, should talk about that and maybe talk about how much is natural and how much is maybe forced and sure. like a way to kind of objectively kind of excavate the idea that how much is too much of got to do it right now. Got to do it versus, you know, because this morning I did not want to go to the pool, man. Like I was sold. I wasn't going. I did not want to get in that water. It scares me to go to swim practice. Truly. <laughs> you got a you got a I tough know. coach. <laughs> I'm in the slowest, I'm in the second slowest lane and there's like 15 lanes and I'm in number 2 and I'm hacking water. And but I went and I was happy that I went, but it was like how many how much of the time do we get up to go on a Tuesday tempo workout with the Telus group? And you're thinking to yourself, I don't want to do this. I have I an athlete that's about to go try to get an Olympic trials qualifier. Mm-hmm. And she dreads every Saturday. Yeah. Nearly every Saturday. So, At what point in time do we need to address that and turn it into something else? Or is that okay? Like, You know what I mean? And well, it's, it's a that fluid thing. I think let's that would be a fun that. episode, yeah. I think. Uh, just those of you who are listening, this episode will come out on Thanksgiving Day because I've been releasing pretty consistently on Thursday. And we we burned through our backlog of episodes. I think I mentioned that our episodes are out of order in case anybody was thinking about whether they're in order or out of order. But this one will come out on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, and next time we'll talk. Well, I think let's just bite that one off. Let's mm-hmm. see if we can actually pull off uh, there's got to be something there and there's got to be something something there there. because people are thinking about it and people are wondering if you're anything like me you're wondering is this okay have i gone too far am i am i doing too much is this from a coach's perspective what should i be feeling when i start to resent the workout it's a fun one yeah because resentments in any other aspect of the psychological objective profile of our minds is not a good thing (laughs) So, like, how do you become a happy person and, you know, maybe a sober person or whatever? In my case, like, well, you got to go release your resentments. And it's like, all right, that's cool. You got to let them go. But I still got them shits when I wake up for the how Tuesday do I run. Do like, how do I got to get it? on the bike for four hours. Why the fuck am I doing try? Sorry for the cuss words. I'm just, no, it's uh, but it's like, why do I get on the bike and why do I resent? getting on the bike for five hours like why am i doing this with my life but it's a part of my practice but yeah it's fun when to kind of realign it yeah well thanks for listening guys take care godspeed till next time adios